Hey, this is Jen. Before we get started with today's show, I have a quick ask of you. If the show has helped you in any way, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. Let us know what you think. Let us know what's helped you. Let us know what you want more of, what you want less of. But just take a couple minutes to do that. It would mean a ton to me and it'll help us get better and better in the future. I really do want to hear from you. When we have so many responsibilities in our lives, It can be easy to forget about the most important person to focus on. That's you. Taking care of yourself is a must if you want to show up for your loved ones and be your best self at home and at work. And when life gets challenging, taking care of your mental and emotional well-being becomes even more vital. But when we're so focused on everyone else, how can we make time for true self-care? This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I am here with Naomi Hirabayashi and Mara Liddy, co-founders and co-CEOs of the self-care app Shine. So let's let's get started. Um, and and Naomi, I'll start with you. Um, and then I want to hear from you, Mara, too, because there's two of you. Um, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey and, and what inspired the two of you to, to start Shine and to start it together. Yeah, so at, at Shine, our mission is to make caring for your mental and emotional health easier, more representative, and more inclusive of all of our experiences and what inspired us to start it uh, was was really our own um, needs. We started it because we needed it. And that really came from, you know, our own experiences. So for Mara as a Black woman and myself as a half-Japanese woman, a lot of times our experiences weren't represented in mainstream wellness. You know, they're, everything from our body types to our skin color, um, financial access or stress, past traumas. When we looked at the mainstream wellness brands, those experiences were overlooked. And so it kind of perpetuated this feeling of being otherized. And what we knew was we were really lucky um, that we got to meet each other as coworkers 10 years ago. And the support that we found in each other really changed everything in terms of our ability to practice daily mental health. And so it was from our friendship and our own experiences of of really feeling overlooked. We knew that we had to help more people cope and process and ultimately heal on a daily basis in a way that worked for them, in a way that was a lot more accessible and inclusive and representative of their experiences. And so it was uh, both, you know, our own journey and our own background, as well as the serendipity of of being able to meet and really um, find each other at work that inspired us to create Shine. And so that's really what Shine exists for. We're on a mission to make caring for your mental and emotional emotional health easier, more representative and more inclusive. Yeah. And I'll just... I was going to say that the app, the app absolutely does that. So well done. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for saying that, Jen. Thanks, Jen. And I, yeah, just to add to that, I, I think that, you know, something that we are always reflecting on is the fact that Naomi and I really didn't ever see ourselves as entrepreneurs. So um, certainly when we started the company, a big part of the process for us, 
it started as a side hustle, as Naomi mentioned. You know, we were getting up at 6 a.m., meeting at a diner around the corner from our office and, um, you know, stealing away for lunches and then happy hours after work. Um, And then as we got to the place of, oh, wow, this could actually be more than a side hustle, but a company, that process was really all about um, just just giving ourselves the the confidence and kind of borrowing it from each other to see that we could be entrepreneurs. And I think that is very resonant in our product in terms of just, you know, you, you can't be what you can't see. And so I think yeah. us taking the leap was um, just, as Naomi said, serendipitous because we were able to lean on each other and lean on the the fact that we both were terrified and and now I think reflected in the product is is both our experiences checking in with each other every day and our mental health and also that vulnerability of of maybe you don't always see yourself as this thing whatever that is for you um, but you have more power than you know and so we, we really hope that the product does that for our community I, I love that can we um, kind of dig in a little bit more to if you're willing to share kind of your your own personal experiences as women of color and you know how this has impacted your journey you know kind of throughout your career um, in addition to to starting shine yeah i think what is really powerful is that our identities as as women of color and all the identities that come with that you know myself identifying as uh, female and black mm-hmm. and multiracial and coming from a lower socioeconomic background and um, Naomi, you know, where I was the first in my family to go to college, Naomi went to four colleges in five years, two of which were community colleges. And so, you know, there's so many parts of our identity that have impacted our experiences in the workplace and then as entrepreneurs. But I would say, both have, you know, hindered our experience as, as I think founders now, but also have, has elevated and and is the reason that we are successful. Um, and what I mean by that is that certainly throughout our paths, um, you know, different for each of us, but throughout our careers, I can speak for myself. I know I, I started my career suppressing a lot of my identity and who I was, Mm. Um, literally straightening my hair and dyeing it as blonde as possible and, you know, wearing all the, you know, as corporate of things that I could find um, and really trying to, to belong, I think, in a way that suppressed who I was. Um, and then as time passed, and I think I started to realize that I would, I would get rewarded for that, but I, I also... There really, there really was nothing that would ever be enough to kind of make me um, be as as homogenous as I was attempting to be. Mm-hmm. And that there really isn't, you know, in my mind, I think when I started my career, I assumed there was just like a right way to be. And once I started to realize, you know, there isn't a right way, and I'm I'm not just trying to crack that code, but I could I could breathe a little bit and be myself a little bit. It was. I think around the same time that Naomi and I met and a huge part of it has to do with me meeting Naomi and seeing somebody really live so authentically as who they are. And I think for me that immediately made me kind of, um, we actually ended up rooming together during a company staff retreat a couple months into working together and, and sharing kind of our backgrounds. And it just made me gravitate towards her and, and want to be around her and just learn how I could just be my authentic self more and so uh, I think now having created Shine as a team and fundraised for Shine, 
we have both learned so much about how certainly, you know, our identities and suppressing them has, has hindered us and been harmful to our, you know, mental health and, Mm -hmm. and harmful in so many ways. But I also think that shine as a product just would not be nearly as successful if we weren't women of color, if we hadn't experienced what we'd experienced, because, you know, when we started the company, we immediately put a black woman on the website and we started to get emails from people saying like, Oh wait, is this only for women or is this only for black women? Um, and it's just so funny because if, you know, you see like a white guy on a website for XYZ product, nobody, nobody asks like, Oh, is this only for white men? Just because you kind of assume that that's the default. And so for us, like because of who we are, not because of anything we wrote down or mandate or anything, we just over-index. We just we focused on more marginalized experiences. We highlighted people that look like us and that look like our friends, and we told their stories when it came to mental health and how they were taking care of themselves and where they were really excelling and where they were struggling. And that uh, has just evolved so much and become this core to our community and our product that it's about vulnerability. It's about accessibility, and it's also about intersectionality. It's about the it's about the fact that we all have different parts of our identities that society either accepts or rejects, and that again hinders or elevates us in our in our journey. And um, I think that's where we're so grateful for, mm. you know, in so many ways, our backgrounds and and what we've experienced. But you know, it certainly has come with its challenges, and yeah. I think. Now looking back, like four and a half years into this, we've, I think, done what so many people in our identities do, which is we've, we've proven ourselves. Like, unfortunately, you know, we know this as women and as women of color, you really do have to have that traction and, and really prove yourself a lot more than other demographics. So I think that proof in, in our community and our product and the efficacy has actually just made it easier on the industry side as well and, and feeling that acceptance and that elevation from the, the wider community. Oh, well, congratulations. I mean, you know, I, I obviously um, you you probably made the journey sound a lot more eloquent than it really was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so um, congratulations. But just, I mean, you know, really, really powerful. And, and I mean, clearly the two of you are, are close friends. Um, and, and thank you for sharing that part of your journey. And you started this company together. Um, and, and you've alluded a little bit to, you know, kind of the relationship and the support you provided one another. But how does that, you know, I mean, I guess, how has that impacted your journey along the way, having one another, having the support of one another? But how does that also, you know, current day, you know, with everything that's going on in our world, how does, mm-hmm. you know, being, you know, co-founders and co-CEOs, how does that continue to impact your journey? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is gratitude mm-hmm. um, in that um, I think just specifically, you know, really talking about the now and, and the fact that, um, you know, feelings of isolation are obviously on the rise for a lot of reasons. And the entrepreneurial journey is hard no matter what yeah. and can feel isolating no matter what. And so um, I've always just felt so much gratitude and, and know that I couldn't do this without Mara in terms of the the foundation of shine was built on our friendship and us collaborating together and leaning on each other and supporting each other. Um, and how that translates to, you know, remote work and, um, 
just, you know, taking, not being able to get that same energy and day in and day out of the office. I just feel a lot of gratitude for how much we've invested in our relationship from the beginning. And so we are able to adjust to this in a way where we're keeping the traditions that matter that we can do remotely. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that like comes to mind um, that we've just done from the beginning is founder dates. And we think that's so important because when, I mean, I'm, I'm married, I have my partner, you know, at home when we have a family and a baby and all those wonderful things. And, um, and Mara's, you know, my other partner. And so just as I invest in my partnership at home, I need to invest in my partnership at work because shine is so much more than just a job. You know, it's a personification of us and our friendship. And so what that looked like pre COVID was, you know, we would every single Friday, get out of the office, go to lunch, sit down, make eye contact and just look <laughs> at each other and say like, how was your week? You know, how are you feeling? What do you feel good about? What's been stressful? What can I help with? And we would talk about work. We would not talk about work. And because of the brand too, so much of, you know, often work and life we know come together and, and mm-hmm. you know, how you're feeling maybe what stuff going on personally impacts your work and vice versa. And so it was just really important for us to check in, not just as partners, business partners, but as friends and um, co-founders and human beings. And that is something we were really intentional about doing very early on when we didn't really have that big of a team. And, you know, we were maybe over engineering our, our like schedule, but it was so needed because, you know, you just get kind of wrapped up in the day to day and all the things that you need to get done and taking that re- reflective pause at the end of the week was a way for us to practice what we preach and also just make sure that we're checking in with each other. Yeah. And is there a time that, that you're willing to share? You know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, the, the importance and the impact to our well-being in a very positive way of, you know, having friends at work, having a best friend at work, having meaningful connections at work. Um, clearly there, you know, there are some people that say, you know, I don't want to have friends at work because then, you know, I'm, I'm too kind of emotionally connected. Um, and I can't, you know, I can't focus solely on the work that I need to get done. Um, has there been a time, you know, in, in your friendship and work life where you, you know, disagreed and did, you know, did the friendship help or did the friendship hinder that? I I love this question because I think it is um, something that, you know, we had to really, when we were first fundraising and taking the leap to quit our our jobs um, at the nonprofit, we, you know, really had to convince people that co-CEO model was the right choice for us. And I think, if you look at the co-CEO model, a lot of the most successful ones you see are of women. And we could talk about that for a long time and just kind of even anthropologically how, you know, women working together is, um, you know, has historically been in this sense of, of much more kind of equal collaboration um, versus I think in the more alpha environment. Um, and for us, you know, obviously we didn't say that in our pitch meetings, like we were more focused on how do we already relate and how do we already collaborate because we did work on Shine for a few months as a side hustle before we ended up taking the leap. 
And what I'm so proud of is that what was true at the very beginning is still true today, which is we absolutely disagree. There are things that um, we have different perspectives on, and that's that's the whole point and the whole goal of mm-hmm. getting to work with each mm-hmm. other. I mean, we get each other's feedback on so many things, on just, I would say, most things. Um, and it's incredibly helpful because you know, to, to Naomi's point, you do, I think as founders, you get in these silos and it's certainly not only lonely, but you, um, think of the opposite of group think, right? You're by yourself and you're thinking about the same things for a very long time. And I think over time, your own thinking can start to compound if you're not getting stretched. And certainly that happens from your own team, but no one quite understands the lens that you have as the, the CEO of the company across the entire company and your investors and your wider community and the responsibility that comes with the care that is so important to take with that, um, the mental health challenges that come with that. And so for us being able to not only have each other as a gut check of like, Hey, does this feel right? Yeah, that does. But also as a check of, um, you know, I'm thinking this on this specific project and I feel really passionately about it. And sometimes hearing the opposite from one another, and that's just so helpful. Um, and I think this applies to any relationship, hopefully at work. But when you can lead with curiosity, when you do have mm. different disagreements, um, disagreements, and you can find places to um, just really get curious about why that person might have that perspective, I think it helps to again like stretch your own thinking and bridge that gap between being passionate about something and just just sitting in that space and just wanting to do it that way. So I think for us, the fact that we do disagree and have different perspectives on things is what elevates us so much and what makes our partnership so strong, as opposed to, I think, what people often think of Mm. a co-CEO relationship and especially female co-CEO relationships, that it's all like hunky-dory all the time. And we're Mm -hmm. like, yes, 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 (laughs) and always. Um, Yes, and is fun, but it's it's also really helpful to have that um, that friction that that makes ideally everything better. Yeah, well, and I and you know I loved what you said, um, you know about you know being there for one another and specifically around mental health because you know and obviously that that's part of the business that you're in, but um, you know mental health is is so strongly stigmatized in in society in 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 particular um in in the workplace it's not something that we often talk about and i think for many of us it's not something that we you know think that our you know c suite executives struggle with because how could somebody who is you know so successful somebody that appears to have it all together all the time you know, struggle with their mental health. And and I get that a lot because I struggle with anxiety and I'm very open about it. Um, but I also get the reaction of like, you're so energetic and you seem to have it all together. And, <laughs> you know, because, because, because most of the time, perhaps I do, um, you know, or at least I'm good at, at, at projecting that and putting that out there. But but that has come with many years of, of working on myself and, and it's a daily pursuit. And so mm. I love the fact that the two of you are there for one another, um, not only in, you know, the business and the business decisions, but, you know, the, the, you know, the authenticity and the vulnerability of saying, you know, Hey, we're human and we struggle and, and no one, 
you know, can quite know exactly what it's like to be in your roles, but you have each other. Um, and I think that's so beautiful. Thanks, Jen. And that, um, thanks for sharing that too, about just like the, the feedback and the, the, you know, all the different roles I think we wear, particularly as women or women of color in this space that people are trying to kind of box you in a certain way. But we talk a lot about, um, you know, all the, the change that's needed in leadership modeling. And one of the things that, uh, we were inspired to create because we, we had trouble seeing it in, in our own worlds was personality diversity in leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, I think especially some of the reckoning that's happening around these very um, problematic ways that people have led that um, perpetuate this idea that, you know, that kind of alpha dog and uh, you know, everything, no love, no room for humility, um, and just a feeling of someone that's kind of on the other side and is is almost like they were just kind of born into this. Whereas mm -hmm. what's always been interesting to us, and I think this is something that we really value in that a lot of people have only been entrepreneurs. We've we've done so many jobs <laughs> and, you know, from all levels that we remember those entry level jobs, we remember those, you know, uh, service jobs. And so that comes with a level of humility and just remembering all of the things that didn't work, the things that you... Um, you know, I, that I know I resented in leadership when I looked at it, because it's like, if that's what it has to be, then I don't know if I want to be a leader. Whereas, um, you know, like Mara said, it, we didn't set out to necessarily be entrepreneurs. We didn't set out necessarily to start our own leadership style. But what's powerful about the times that we're in is for the first time ever, it feels like there is starting to be this change in direction. There's, there's a lot more channels for accountability, everything from Glassdoor to um, people mobilizing on Twitter to um, healthy call call outs of where there again is that discrepancy between what is publicly shown to what happens internally, and I think particularly for women and women of color, the idea that you can be kind and compassionate and strong and direct and human and also high conviction, all of those things have always existed in one person, but we haven't yet had the examples of what that looks like with power. Mm. I love that. So, you know, coming back to the, the stigma that's associated with, with mental health and, and well-being and, and, and quite frankly, you know, sometimes even self-care. Um, and and one, of, one of the things that I really love about the work that you guys do through, through your app, um, is, you know, in some ways I personally feel like society has turned self-care into, you know, this reward that we get, um, you know, at the end of a long week <laughs> or, you know, at the, at the end of a, of a really hard day, um, you know, where we deserve something because, you know, we, we've done something difficult and, you know, I, try to debunk that as often as mm. possible and say, you know, self-care, you know, yes, it's great if you want to take a, a bubble bath on Sundays or drink a glass of wine on Wednesday evening, not a whole bottle, but a glass or two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, but it shouldn't be that that should be part of a regular self-care program or regimen that you have for yourself. And quite frankly, sometimes self-care is hard because, it requires us to make difficult decisions that are good for us, but may go against something we really want to do, but we probably shouldn't do. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's not, you know, it's not this 
you know, luxurious escape. Parts of self-care can be luxurious, um, but but a lot of it isn't. And, you know, I think so much of what you all promote is really aligned with that and, and, and helps to break down the stigma around mental health and kind of debunk this this view that we, you know, that we have created about self-care. And so I'd love to know your, your thoughts um, specifically around, you know, taking care of our own mental well-being and then just, you know, your, your views on self-care and how important it is. Hmm. I, I love that you shared just the inaccessibility that self-care has, has unfortunately taken on and made to seem as a, a something that you should do when you're treating yourself. And I think what we have really worked at as a company and, and even individuals is making it really clear, like when we say self-care, we're talking about an approach to really taking care of our mental and emotional health. Yeah. And mental health is still unfortunately such a loaded term. It, it makes people kind of go inward either in a way where they – are like, yeah, I've struggled with something and I can think of what that is, or I, I don't know, mental health, that's not me. I'm, I'm fine. I'm mm-hmm. healthy. Um, but we, we do believe that breaking down the stigma around mental health starts with really open conversations about what we're all struggling with. And that started with Naomi and I at work talking about like, hey, I feel like I was uh, just not great in that meeting and I'm just feeling really insecure about it. I'm wondering if I'm like really cut out for this and um, affirming each other, but also giving each other space to say, yeah, like I've been there. I've been in a place where I felt like an imposter. I've had really bad anxiety um, and here's how I've navigated it. And so I think similar to what we did for each other, we we do offer that, you know, as a company and as a product um, with Shine, where it's about offering people a safe space to have those conversations and connect with other people. Um, Also offering a daily ritual for people to just know that it's a normal thing. Like we, we felt like to normalize the conversation around around mental health, it was important to say, we're going to have a conversation every day, every single day. We're going to start our morning with a different Mm -hmm. mental health theme because this isn't about just the moments when you're in crisis. It's about everything, right? It's about every little way in which you're showing up for yourself, or maybe you're, you're not prioritizing yourself. And so how can we create a new, a space where there's a new mental health theme every day? And that's, that's core to the product. And then I think what we didn't have, um, in the time that we were getting to know each other and really supporting each other in our own mental health journey, but we've created through shine and through just the incredible team that we have and the partners that we work with is giving people the language and the tools to know how to navigate what they're going through. That's probably one of the most powerful things that we get feedback on as a company. And so giving people the language uh, to understand that they might be dealing with anxiety or depression, it can be as simple as that, or it can be um, helping people to understand new language. For example, where we might all kind of understand the idea of burnout, we might not know that there's a concept called representation burnout, which is the feeling of exhaustion that comes from being the only one, right? Whether that's being the only woman in the room, the only queer person in the room, the only person of color in a room, um, that, that comes with a different kind of burnout. And it comes with, um, you know, a different level of fatigue, um, things like racial battle fatigue, which has to do with kind of the, the physical and physiological symptoms that our body, um, reacts to after, you know, years of often dealing with microaggressions in our lives. Mm. And so when we think of mental health, again, it's from this approach of an intersectional 
approach to mental well-being. So we're, we're thinking of a lot of different types of people and, and their experiences. And, you know, it's both important to offer that safe space, create that daily ritual, and then give people the language and the tools to know that they're not only are they not alone, but they have um, something that can help them really push through it. That's, that's really powerful. Um, you know, and you, you just touched on this a little bit and, and, you know, I'll be completely transparent and say that, you know, I myself, um, have been learning a lot more recently. Um, and, and perhaps it's, you know, because of you know, the, the recent, the many recent, uh, racial injustices that, that we're, that we're all witnessing, but knowing that they've been going on for, for many, many, many years, um, when so many of us probably weren't paying attention in the way that we should. But, you know, in what I'm learning is mental health in general is stigmatized, but in, in, you know, in other communities, um, in, in other races, it's, it's stigmatized even more because there hasn't been, um, racially, sensitive, and this probably goes for other groups too, but racially sensitive, um, you know, ways in which to seek help, or, you know, if they did seek help, they were misunderstood or misdiagnosed. Um, and so, you know, the system itself, you know, deterred people if they even tried to reach out for help, um, you know, and obviously that's part of what your, your app and your company is addressing, but can you speak a little bit more about that and just educate me and our listeners who may not know on that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's absolutely right that unfortunately when, you know, the research shows that even when minorities and any marginalized communities seek help and seek support for their, their mental health, they're often, you know, referred to things like the juvenile um, justice system or the prison system, as opposed to getting the actual support we need. So unfortunately, mental health issues do over-index for uh, minorities and specifically for the Black community. And there's so many challenges. I mean, there's so many reasons for that. Uh, The biggest one being systemic racism and the, the daily challenges that we face as Black Americans, um, as Black people. Uh, There's certainly, you know, the history that is, there's so much research around um, just uh, trauma and and how trauma does stay, you know, it's in your cells. And so it is passed down. And certainly the impacts of slavery and racism in our country um, have physiological ways in which they come to life for us. And to what we were speaking to earlier on the treatment side, unfortunately, you see just a, a lack of cultural competency when it comes to treatment for mental support, mental health support for minorities and, and particularly black Americans. Um, just a couple of years ago, the American Psychological Association only had 4% of its membership that identified as black. Yeah. And so when you think about what already happens in the physical health care system, which unfortunately lacks, you know, much integration with mental health care, you know, you have uh, similar trends of the black community really being um, misdiagnosed, not necessarily taken seriously, um, and just receive kind of worse worse care across the board. And that's not even then addressing the stigma that exists within the Black community around mental health and, and kind of culturally where that comes from. Um, but if you don't have the cultural competency kind of on the, the resourcing side, we can't even do the research on the stigma. We can't even address, you know, some of the, the challenges. I mean, one of which being just language, right? 
There is um, a, a study that was done recently on the fact that um, while black women may not specifically say like, oh yeah, I have anxiety, a lot of us might say like, I'm, my nerves, like it's, it's my nerves are bad, right? Or it's really, it's really bad for my nerves. And so just small things like that, like understanding the language from a cultural competency standpoint would just make such a massive difference in being able to research and address and serve the problem. But there, there is a massive gap in, unfortunately, not only the, um, you know, resourcing and, and people kind of available to support and treat mental health issues for black Americans, but also in the, um, the stigma and in the, the problem of kind of where we're being directed when we do um, express that we need some help or need some support. Well, thank you for helping to raise awareness um, and educate all of us that need to be educated on that, myself included. I, I, I truly appreciate it. Um, you know, you know, kind of in addition to that, obviously we're, we are still in the midst of, of this global pandemic and it seems like um, this is where we're going to be for, for a while. And I know that you all um, have been doing some great things um, really to support your community and, and, others during this time, you know, those that, you know, are new to kind of struggling with anxiety, but just in general, um, you know, and, and potentially depression, PTSD, anything that, you know, might be coming out of, of this pandemic, which I guess some of it is still, still to be seen, but, you know, certainly the uncertainty, the loneliness, um, you know, the, the loss of kind of life as we know it, which for some can, you know, can be, you know, grief and grieving, um, you know, what advice or, you know, kind of what do you think the best advice that either somebody gave you, you guys gave each other, <laughs> you like to give other people um, for taking care of your mental and emotional well-being, but especially during this time? Yeah, advice, um, Advice for others that we're, we're trying to put into place for ourselves. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, we're, we're all a work in process, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that, um, I know, and I do think that's one of the, the powerful outcomes about this time is that there's um, a shared sense mm. of struggle. And obviously this pandemic um, is highlighting so many um, inequities in our, our country. And yeah. so the experience for so many people is very different. And there is a common struggle in that no one, we, none, we haven't experienced what we're experiencing or anything like it. There's no playbook. Um, we're trying to process this time and trying to, to get through it. And so um, I think one of the, the powerful things is that in a very American way, the like, Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. You know, things are okay. And that might, it's probably not true. Most of the time, I think we're being a lot more open about what's hard versus trying to smile through it. I agree. And we, we did uh, actually a survey um, to un better understand how our community was processing and navigating their mental health during the pandemic um, and the racial justice uprising in our country. Um, and one of the, the things that we saw was that um, people actually said that they were expressing their emotions more than they were before. And a big reason was because they knew that other people were struggling too. 
And it speaks to um, this, this communications theory that, that Mara and I were really um, inspired by in the beginning of the start of Shine, which was this concept of the spiral of silence. So um, the idea that for fear of isolation by publicly speaking out, you, you don't speak out. And as a result, um, common human experiences stay either taboo or kind of repressed. Um, an example would be like miscarriages that so many people mm. experience, but for a long time, you know, women were kind of suffering beside each other, not realizing that this was a shared experience because there was so much stigma about speaking out. I think we're experiencing a time where that is that stigma for mental health and that spiral of silence is starting to be broken. And the more that people speak out, the more they will speak out and continue to find those connections between people. And the other thing that we found that was really powerful, and this is to the question of like, what is something that you do every single day that I try to practice is remembering to share, like Mara said, I mean, this was such a big, you know, reason why we started Shine and why we connected is speak about what's hard, you know, speak about that inner narrative that's tough, that thing that you feel kind of ashamed about. Um, but once you you mention it, um, I did this the other day with Mara. I was like, I'm just being really hard on myself about um, feeling feeling behind. We we're talking about productivity guilt and how that's obviously a big thing right now because it's like in some ways you have more time, in other ways you have less time, and your energy depletion that's very very real. And so when we when we got to talk about that, I was able to be more compassionate with myself. And that's a similar thing that we heard from our community as well. So the people that are speaking out more about their mental health struggles are also practicing more self-compassion. And what I love about that is it's not about this quick fix or a silver bullet or any of that, because none of that exists in this space, but what are the ways that we can be kind to ourselves and be more compassionate with ourselves and where we can, and if we have um, either you know virtual networks or in-person networks possible, connect over that struggle, because that is, that is I think, one of the most important things that we can do during this time. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that. And um, in my own experiences, I, I, I do, I, I'm, I'm experiencing myself that, that people are much more open um, about, about talking about what they're struggling with. Um, yeah. And that is something that I really do um, hope continues and, and I will be uh, at the front of the line, hopefully with the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> leading that charge long, long past this pandemic that we are in. So I have one more question for the two of you. And it's something that I like to ask all of my guests because, you know, um, well-being is something, it, it means something to all of us. But I have found in my own experiences that it means something different to all of us. And so I'd like to know how each of you define well-being. This, this is Mara speaking. I can start, I think, for me, well-being is about feeling like you can live as your authentic self and show up in the spaces that you exist at you know, work and home and in your community and really have that sense of belonging and that you also have the tools and the language to navigate the challenges that life will undoubtedly throw your way. For... For me, um, I would say a feeling of realistic peace <laughs> and mm. that the realistic comes with, with the idea that there are, there's like systems that we are part of. There's um, things that we just don't have control over. There's bills that need to be paid. There's just the reality of life. 
And trying to find peace within that is, um, I think, when I feel the most well. And so that's everything from feeling like you're kind of stealing back time from your day by not rushing as soon as you get up to, like, jump into stuff, um, taking your time maybe in the morning or um, setting boundaries because you really just need time to do something for yourself or for your family or for a friend in the evening, but a sense of realistic peace. I love that realistic piece. That's a that's a new one to add to my to my library. So thank you for that, and thank you, Naomi and Mara. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, really meaningful for me personally, and I know for so many people that are listening to it as well. Thank you for having us. It's it's fun to do these conversations that are just are just like real talk because it's like it's therapy and <laughs> and it's um you know it's it, you can tell that the approach is so authentic and the questions are so authentic. So we are feel very privileged to to share and to be here and just appreciate you all having us. I'm so grateful Mara and Naomi could be with us today to share their stories and the importance of self-care. Thank you to our producers and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. Be well.